0: Welcome to the A Vibrant Vision podcast. This podcast will explore the book A Vibrant Vision, written by Richard Seaman, the chairman of Seaman Corporation. Seaman Corporation is a worldwide company known for industrial fabrics. This podcast will be an asset on the way to understanding all the book has to offer, and you will get to hear from Richard and the supporting players that have made Seaman Corp. what it is today. I am your host for this episode, Crystal Ribble. In our previous podcast, we talked about how Siemens Corporation saw the importance of professionalizing their governance process when their founder passed away in 1978. Some of the main steps they took when bringing on outside board members to accomplish this were to make sure they differentiated between the different roles of the shareholders, the board of directors, and the management leadership. In this episode, we will continue to explore what governance has looked like for Siemens Corporation and what this has meant for the family of the family business. We hope this episode will inspire you to take a good look at your own governance process and potentially see the importance of a fresh approach. Author and inspirational speaker Simon Sinek once said, if you hire people just because they can do a job, they'll work for your money. But if you hire people who believe what you believe, they'll work for you with blood, sweat, and tears. Siemens Corporation has worked diligently to find the right people to place along the entire chain of their governance process. Their success has been wrapped in people who believe what they believe. In this governance process, the board of directors has the responsibility to make sure the right CEO is hired to move the company in a successful direction. Joining us again is Richard Seaman, the chairman of Seaman Corporation.
1: The most important responsibility of a board of directors is to assure that there is good leadership in the business. This obligation focuses on being sure that the CEO is doing the job that needs to be done for the growth and development of the company. The CEO is hired by the board of directors. That's the responsibility the shareholders give to the governance process so the board needs to have regular meetings with the CEO. In Seaman Corporation, our non-family CEO also holds a seat on the board. That's to assure that the management leader has a voice at the board level, which will help achieve good alignment between board members and management regarding the direction of the company. The members of the leadership team are closest to the business environment and therefore are responsible for developing and presenting the strategic plan to the board. And the board reviews, provides input, and ultimately approves the strategic plan. This will assure alignment between the shareholders, the board, and management. Management needs to move forward with the confidence that the board is supportive of them. What you don't want is a situation where your leadership team is running the business and looking over their shoulder, wondering whether or not they have the support of the board. At some point, there's going to be a change in the CEO position, and the board will need to be very involved in that leadership succession process. I served as CEO for 40 years, but then had to begin thinking about retirement. This transition experience is a good example of the role the board plays in the succession process. Our COO at the time, who was just a couple years younger than me and had held that position for 15 years, independently went to our board and said he was planning to retire in three years. He wanted to give the board plenty of notice so that they could prepare for his departure. When the board fully understood the role he played in running the business on a day-to-day basis, they suddenly became more concerned about his succession than about my CEO succession, which was still a few years away. What that uh, did was to put in motion a process for the COO leadership transition. But with the thought that this candidate selection will also support the leadership succession for me as CEO, which would likely follow in a few years. Because we provided our senior managers the opportunity to make presentations at our board meetings, the board was able to identify two people within the organization that they felt confident were worth the investment in additional leadership development to prepare them as candidates to succeed the COO and then ultimately to grow into the CEO position. The components of the leadership development consisted of three parts. The first was to provide each of them with a leadership coach. As you may recall from the prior podcast on human capital, leadership coaching is an important part of our investment in human capital. Secondly, we sent each candidate individually to a multi-week program at Harvard for leadership development. When one person was at Harvard, the other person assumed his management responsibilities, which offered excellent cross-training. The third component was participation in the quarterly retreats I had with my COO. As you may recall, I religiously scheduled a quarterly CEO-COO off-site retreat to assure ongoing strategic alignment. My COO and I had been doing this for 15 years. By including the two candidates in these retreats, we felt this experience would further evaluate and develop their strategic leadership skills. Over the course of two years, we managed this leadership development process and kept the board informed of the progress. So at the time the COO retired. Both candidates were demonstrating very good leadership potential. As a result, we adopted a co-leadership model and promoted them as co-presidents to replace the COO position. Initially, this model worked very well. However, as we began to approach and evaluate succession for my position as CEO, the board found that one co-president's leadership was progressing more rapidly than the others. Part of it was leadership skills, and part of it was leadership style. One candidate's leadership style was more consistent and in alignment with the culture of the company, which the board felt was very important. As a result, the board decided to promote one of the co-presidents to chief operating officer and then help the other co-president Transition to another opportunity outside the company, where he actually assumed the role of president at a larger organization. In retrospect, this leadership development process worked very well and the board was actively engaged. In addition, our family shareholders were kept informed with the leadership progress of each candidate. So when I made the decision to retire as CEO, It was a seamless transition for our COO to move into that role. This provided the experience for our board and for the next generation of family shareholders, our children, to gain the experience of selecting a company CEO, whether they were family or non-family. Our family shareholders and our board gained additional experience in CEO succession when, To our surprise, our recently selected CEO announced that he was going to retire early after only being in the role for five years. He just did not want to work until 65. He and his wife wanted to enjoy their retirement freedom while they were still healthy, so he gave us a one-year notice that he was going to retire at the age of 58. While he had done a good job of growing the business, he had not been in the role long enough to develop his CEO successor. This required that we do a broader search and provided the opportunity and challenge for both the board and the family shareholders to identify and recruit not only a candidate that was non-family, but the one that did not have experience from within our business. Over the next year, using a qualified search firm, we identified candidates, including two from within the organization. Both our board and our family shareholders played an appropriate role in this search process. We were successful in identifying and recruiting an excellent candidate. Once again, the transition in CEO leadership was seamless. This result could not have been achieved without an actively engaged independent outside board of directors. Our ability to attract and retain excellent leadership is enhanced by the fact that candidates recognize Seaman Corporation has a governance process of qualified independent directors that provides strategic business direction. While they are coming to work for a family business, the direction of the business is not dependent solely on the potential unpredictability of family shareholders.
0: One of the most vital pieces of Siemens Corporation's success has been their strategic planning process. You can hear all about how they came to this process and how they execute it in episodes two and three of this series. But what role does the board of directors play in this important operation?
1: In many organizations, particularly nonprofits, management looks towards the board of directors to provide the strategic plans and the strategic direction. However, I firmly believe it is a primary responsibility of the CEO and their team to develop the strategic plan. The leadership team needs to recognize that they have a board of outside independent directors with a great deal of business expertise. They need to keep the board appraised of the strategic planning process and seek their input as an important resource to the planning process. But management are the ones that are closest to the marketplace, closest to the competition, closest to what their assets are, whether they're human assets or capital assets. They are the ones that should be developing the plan. The role of the board is to hold the CEO and the management team accountable for creating the strategic plan in a manner that works well for the company. As you may recall from my podcast on strategic planning, I said it's not about the plan, it's about the process. So the board's responsibility is not just to review and approve the plan, but to also oversee how the management team is developing the plan, including how frequently they revisit and modify the plan. The board also has a responsibility to provide input. The governance cycle should provide a time when management shares where they are in the strategic planning process, and then provide input into that process. The board does need to ultimately accept and approve the final strategic plan.
0: Another vital component of the board of directors' role in the governance process is helping with the succession planning of the company. The future of the company lies in what happens when Richard is gone and the next family stakeholders take over in the board appointing process. For Siemens Corporation, the next generation of stakeholders are his three children. His daughter, Carrie, is a family stakeholder as well as a member of the board of directors and the chair of their family council. She is getting a firsthand look at how things run and all that may lie ahead of her and her siblings in the future.
2: Over the years... We've watched how my father cultivates relationships with potential board members and then brings them onto the the business. It is a very organic process. Um, I've also looked at how other companies do it using outside search firms, creating matrices, doing self-assessments, a very structured process. I think in the future, we will need to find some hybrid of those methods. We certainly, our generation, we are not as involved in some of the organizations, um, the business communities. Certainly, we are not as involved in the operations of the business as my father has been. So some of those organic connections may not be as typical in our everyday lives. However, we are networking through family business organizations. Um, We, we do work with other families who own businesses together. So there are opportunities to to meet other potential board members. I think the most important thing for our family is to get the best possible board members that we can and to maintain the independent perspectives and investment that our current board members have in our family and our business. We need to find those people. So we just need to be a little bit more um, creative in the ways that we do that. The
0: future selection of new board members is something that not only Carrie thinks about, but other current board members do as well, such as Bob Walton, who we met in our last podcast.
3: We are beginning to focus on governance expansion in terms of how do we select new board members? many years, I think there was a tendency to, as as Dick explains in his book, for his family, his father, and him to actually pick people they knew or had some working relationship with, whether it was a banker, a lawyer, whoever, you know, they ultimately decided they couldn't use anyone like that because of conflict of interest. But they tended to, to rely on their, their relationships and their personal networks for board members. And I think we're at a point now where we're growing large enough, we have to think outside that box. So the board's taking on a more active role in sort of a board recruitment process, run by Carrie, who's the current family representative uh, for for the for the for the three children. So um, I think that we'll see more attention paid to how we recruit and and retain good board members over time, particularly when you know someday Dick will not be there. But so how will we then pick board members? We better get going with that now. So that's one of the big focuses for the next few years.
0: The independent board is something Carrie values. She has seen their importance at many
2: junctures, but especially the last few years. With regards to the support that the independent directors can provide, we've had some significant challenges to to go through over the past few years, as many businesses have. Um, And we've we've had the selection of new independent board members. We've had the selection of a non-family CEO. Our business has actually selected two non-family CEOs over the past few years. We've also navigated the pandemic, supply chain issues, and all of that has been helped. All of those decisions around that has been helped and, and supported by our independent board members. I don't really remember a time without outside independent voices in that boardroom. So for me, it's it's very reassuring. I don't feel that it's threatening. I think that it has been a tremendous support to our family. I value the outside perspective that the independent board members bring.
0: When we come back, we will discuss the board's terms and if having the same people stick around for long periods of time is a good idea, as well as hear from Carrie about her role as the chair of the family council and the important place she holds at the board table. Established in 1949 and now headquartered in Wooster, Ohio, with additional manufacturing in Bristol, Tennessee, Semen Corporation is known worldwide for the production of high-value, high-performance fabrics. Among some of the applications, Semen Corporation fabrics are used for geomembrane liners, architectural structures, truck tarps, roofing membranes, and applications for the military and government. With the combination of a unique puncture-resistant fabric construction with a commitment to superior customer service and satisfaction, Semen Corporation fabrics exhibit incomparable product performance. Being a part of the Semen team not only puts you on the forefront of industrial fabric innovation, but also affords some wonderful benefits all housed within a family atmosphere. If this sounds like a place you need to be, Visit slash join our team Welcome back. We've been talking with Richard Seaman, the chairman of Seaman Corporation, his daughter Carrie Alt, as well as one of their board members, Bob Walton, about the process to professionalize the board at Seaman Corporation. In his book, A Vibrant Vision, Richard Seaman talks about compensation for the board of directors. His approach is not necessarily one that lines up with his mentor in this area.
1: As I say in my book, if there's one area I disagree with Leon Danko, it has to do with compensation for board members. Leon suggested that we pay high compensation for our board members at a time when we really couldn't afford to. What I have learned over time is that compensation is the last component for evaluating and recruiting a board member. If a candidate is only going to consider your board position based on what you are willing to pay, then he is probably not the right candidate. What you want in a candidate is someone who is enthusiastic about your business, about your product or service, and about your family. Compensation should be one of the last considerations. Having said that, competitive compensation is a consideration. However, when I recently discussed compensation with my board, I found an interesting perspective. We hold four board meetings a year, one of which is off-site for several days at a nice resort venue. We invite the spouses to be a part of this meeting. When asked about compensation, the response was that they valued things like off-site meetings once a year with their spouses more than an increase in their board compensation. And we found that by having these off-site events, we gain a great deal of intangible value around trust and respect among board members. In addition, when we have a good year financially, I have made it a habit to provide board incentives. This is a way of rewarding them and recognizing that their advice and counsel have been important to the financial success achieved by the leadership team.
0: The board's counsel is pertinent, and their guidance is what helps set the rest of the company on the right path. Richard wants his board members to know their value and feel their value. Another way in which Richard differs in opinion sometimes is the term limits of his board members. He sees value in the long tenure of members because of the nature of their family business.
1: Oftentimes you hear that good governance requires that you have term limits for board members. I am a contrarian to that point of view. My experience is that a term limit policy in any organization is an excuse for the governance process not doing the appropriate evaluation of their board members. So it defaults to term limits. If you have a board member that is not performing, you can simply wait until they term out rather than confront the situation. In a family business, particularly one that wants to be multi-generational, I believe a term limit policy facilitates the loss of the legacy and historical culture of the company. As long as a board member is interested in your business and wants to remain engaged in your business, they bring a historical perspective to any strategic discussion at the governance level, which will be critical to the decisions that are being made. When you have term limits, you lose these historical perspectives over time. Let me explain what we do. All of our board members have three-year renewable terms. These terms are staggered so that every year we have two or three board members that are up for re-election. I, as chairman, have the responsibility to talk with all the board members that are up for re-election to confirm that they want to serve another three-year term and to discuss how they feel the board is doing and that how they feel about their contribution. This process forces the board through the chairman to evaluate the contribution of every board member. It also provides an opportunity for a board member to resign. Oftentimes, board members, particularly those that have been on board for a long time, may feel a sense of obligation to continue to run for re-election, when in reality, they know it might be best to step aside and make room for a new board member. Personally, I believe if you've got a Board of eight or nine, most of whom are independent, and you evaluate them at the end of their terms, you will get enough vacancies over time to bring in the new knowledge and skills you need at the board level. If you have selected qualified, experienced board members to begin with, they already bring a wide range of talents and are most likely actively engaged in the contemporary business issues. For example, I know several of my board members are actively learning about AI and its potential impact. Consequently, if you manage the governance process properly, you can achieve the same benefits that people claim you need from term limits, but you do not risk losing the historical institutional knowledge and culture that is so important to a multi-generational family business.
0: Richard's view of the people who are right for the board at Semen Corp are people who care about the Semen family and are invested in their well being in this whole process. This usually is not accomplished with short terms because the historical knowledge he spoke of is what helps drive this. Carrie has seen this firsthand and has a
2: wonderful take on what it means to her. I agree that if the independent board members have a close relationship with the family and they're invested, in the family as well as in the the business, um, if they're invested in the success of the family and the success of the business, which is very important when you're looking to to um, nurture a multi generational business, the family needs to be nurtured and the board and the business needs to be nurtured. So um, I agree that the board can be supportive of the family and can help serve as a buffer between the family and the operations of the business. I also serve in the role as the of the family council chair. So I work as a liaison between the family council group and the board. So I think there's 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 boundaries around all of that too. I don't think it is the board's necessarily primary responsibility to take care of the business of the family. If they're invested in the success of the family, in in the development of the family, in the happiness of the family. Um, that can be very important Um, and they understand what the goals of the family are then that can you know they can bring that perspective to to the board
0: it has taken some time but carrie has realized her role on the board is one that no one else can fulfill she is holding so much legacy and history that is needed for the outside board of directors to be able to glean from and do their job
2: more effectively when you have really qualified outside board members as we've had, sometimes I've wondered what I can bring to the table. And it's taken me several years to realize that my perspective is one of a family member. And that's something that nobody else can bring to the table. So as family members serving on the board, we bring a unique perspective as well. And we we bring our experience growing up with the company, we bring the history, we bring the legacy, we bring the culture. And we can help maintain some of those elements at the board level and at the operations level. So I think that's really important for family members to understand that preserving some of that, that history, that legacy, that maybe some of your independent board members, some of your new management team, people who haven't been with the company for a long time, you bring that. And that's really important with regards to the board governance. And especially when we're talking about our board members being invested in the family. And at the end of each board meeting, I provide a little update as the family council chair on the work of the family council and what we're doing as a sibling group, as an ownership group, and then what we're doing with the next generation. So I have found that even though these updates are brief, our board members are really invested and interested in what I have to say. And I think it gives them a better appreciation of what we're doing between board meetings. as a council and, and as an ownership group, um, to foster um, just responsible ownership and communication and education. So that's one of the other roles that I play with the with the business and the in the board, is acting as a liaison between the, the two groups.
0: Next time, we will hear so much more from Carrie and other members of the Seaman family as we take a deeper dive into shareholder education and engagement. On our last podcast we met another current Siemens board member by the name of Bill Finn. What final words does he have for CEOs who are looking to make transitions and board members looking to serve companies and families well?
3: We need to transition from knowing everything about the company to the wisdom. What 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 we need to be the wise uh counselors, uh not the technical counselors, not the uh the financial counselors. We have uh, great people to do that today, but we need to bring the wisdom to the leadership and the board and the values uh, and make sure that the management team stays aligned with the values. And that's a, a major part of the responsibility today of a chairman and of the family shareholders is to make sure the management team stays aligned with the family values.
0: We hope this podcast has challenged you to move in the direction of building an independent board because of the immense value and progression it can bring to your business. Until next time, I am your host for this episode, Crystal Ribble. Thanks for joining me. This podcast is a small snippet of the great information housed inside of Richard Seaman's book, A Vibrant Vision, The Entrepreneurship of Multi-Generational Family Business. To have a vision of growing a small family business into a sustainable multi-million dollar business requires distinctive processes that support innovation, human capital development, strategic planning, and quality assurance in manufacturing and service. A vibrant vision shares the experiences of the author in his growing family business after his father passed away at a young age and building this industrial fabrics business into a multi-million dollar company, while at the same time encouraging his children and grandchildren to become stewards of this treasure we call a family business. To get your own copy of this book, visit Amazon.com.